Let's pray. Lord, teach us to live without elbows. Amen. Well, I read an interesting story. It's about us, believers, not having elbows in heaven. Actually, makes perfect sense. But how do you feel about that? In 2017, Pope Francis modified the rules for sainthood by adding a fourth path. Now, normal paths require at least five years of waiting, living ordinary Christian virtues before death, a reputation for holiness after death, and a verified miracle before and after you die. Now, there is one shortcut. It's martyrdom. Yeah, not the easiest path. The new path, though, is for people who live a life of such service and sacrifice to humanity. It leads to an early death. And Pope Francis quoted Jesus, who said, Greater love hath no one than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. So we call them miracles. Jesus walking on water, raising the dead, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind. But in truth, they aren't miracles at all. They're just God putting things back the way that they should be, the way that they would be if sin would stop messing with us. We call them miracles, yeah, because a miracle by definition is when something cannot be explained any other way other than I can't explain it. The most common words heard after a miracle is, it's just not possible. But the only reason we say that is because we have gotten so used to everything being broken and dark and scary that we've forgotten that this is not the way it was supposed to be. When Jesus restores the sight to the blind man, he's giving him what he should have had in the first place. On Sunday mornings, when Jesus forgives your sins, oh, and any other day that he forgives your sins, he's just putting you back the way God created you to be. Miracles aren't really miracles. They're just restorations. Miracles, by the way, are always happening. The earth spins at just the right speed so that we're not crushed because gravity is too heavy, nor are we flung off into space because gravity is too light. Sunrises, the smell and the sights of flowers, the sound of a baby crying and children laughing, yeah, they're all miracles. But because these are normal miracles, we don't think twice. It's only when we're in trouble and we've tried everything we can think of and everything we can do and none of it works and we're still in total trouble and then without our help, whatever was broken isn't broken anymore. That's when we call it a miracle. You know, whenever somebody bargains with God, and part of that bargain is, you know, God, if you do this, then I'll believe in you. I'm not saying it isn't going to happen, but based on the Bible, extortion is rarely a good idea when it comes to God. Miracles are more apt to happen because you have faith rather than the other way around. And miracles are rarely, if ever, about winning the lottery, getting a promotion, sliding through the light before it turns red, or remembering your mask before you get all the way to wherever it is you were going. Such things are a waste of a really good miracle. When Pope Francis offered a fourth way to sainthood, he became an honorary Lutheran. He was advocating the priesthood of all believers, living a life of service and sacrifice as a calling, not an obligation. And even though technically no miracle is required because you're just being who God created you to be and loving and caring for those who, at least right now, can't love and care for themselves. In today's world, I'd call that a miracle of the highest order. And unfortunately, it's possible, in fact, quite likely, if you love and serve and care for others with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you probably aren't going to live as long as if you only took care of yourself. 
When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus didn't hesitate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as your health, yourself. Miracles are about restoring things to the way they were supposed to be. And while the definition of heaven is wherever God is, the secondary definition is a place where love and service to one another is such that nobody gives a second thought. We no longer think about ourselves. But because everybody else is loving and serving without any thought of themselves, then everything works out because we take care of one another the way we were supposed to in the first place. And that brings me to that rabbi from a long time ago who wrote a book and said that we would have no elbows when we died. When we got to either heaven or hell, our elbows would be removed and we would be given a very, very long spoon to eat with. One that is so long that we cannot, no matter how hard we try, eat from our own spoon. Now, in heaven, that's not a problem. Since everybody is more than happy to feed everybody else, we all eat very well. In other words, I feed you, you feed me, and we have a great time doing it. However, in hell, since no one will help anybody else, they are forever hungry and suffer from their own selfishness. You see, I always knew that elbows were overrated. In John's Gospel, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, rather than list all the miracles, sermons, and conversations, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just give us the highlights. Some stories, by the way, exactly the same. Others, they're not. And since each gospel writer had a different audience in mind, we're treated to different stories and views. But every single one of them points to Jesus. One thing I noticed... When Jesus gives sight to the blind in the Gospels, there are subtle differences. One time he said, here's mud in your eye, and then literally he smeared mud in the guy's eye. Another time he just touched the person's eyes. Once Jesus had to touch the person's eyes twice. Not sure what was up with that. Then there was the time that Jesus smudged mud in the guy's eyes, but then he made him go take a bath before he got his sight back. In our lesson today, he just tells the man to go on his way. And as he does, his eyesight is restored. He doesn't need his seeing eye dog anymore. For those who want to remove the miracleness by saying, well, there was obviously vitamin B in the water or the mud, and that's how Jesus restored their eyesight. Or, you know, the guy just had major macapiapia in his eyes, and Jesus wiped it away. Sorry, not going to work. See, the only reason people have for not wanting somebody else healed is they want to retain their superiority over them. See, as long as you have something that somebody else doesn't, as long as somebody else is more broken than you are, then you can pretend that you're actually a better person. Now, here's where things get tricky, and we detour to John's Gospel, ninth chapter, where the disciples see a man who was born blind. He's sitting on the side of the road, and in their spiritual superiority, they turn to Jesus and say, so who sinned? him or his parents, that he was born that way. I'm sure they said it in the King James, so it sounded even better. Now, I don't want to disagree with Jesus, but when he answers neither, we need to have a discussion about what that really means. You see, all sin, all disease, all accidents, all on purposes, they happen because we and our parents and our grandparents, all the way back to Noah and stopping just short of Adam and Eve, we were all born sinful. Now, by the way, Sin is not just things we do. It is first and foremost a condition of the soul that rejects God and embraces us. In other words, it puts us first above everything else. 
And so when someone is suffering, it may not be a specific sin that caused it to happen, but it is most definitely the result of sin. Could have been your sin, my sin, could have been the sin of the world as a whole. So when Jesus tells the disciples neither, what he means is just because someone is suffering, it doesn't mean that they are worse sinners than those who aren't suffering. They're still sinners. But, you know, don't pick up any of those righteousness rocks, because so are you. If you've ever been to an event where someone tosses a beach ball in the air and it starts bouncing all over the crowd, once released, there's no controlling it until the security guards grab it and pop it. Every time somebody points to somebody else and says, so, who sinned? Them or their parents that they get what they're deserving. Yeah, it's like that beach ball flying all over the crowd. It takes on a life of its own and everybody adds their own two cents worth without any spiritual or other facts. You know, Jesus says instead of pointing at a person and blaming them or their parents for whatever happened, unless, of course, it's obvious that the sin that they committed led to exactly what they're going through, he says it's a lot better to point at the sin and at Satan and then pray for a miracle. Sin disrupts life. And regardless of how that sin gets into your life and what the consequences are, it's Satan. He's attacking you and especially your faith. You know, last week after Jesus points out it's harder for people who are wealthy, and remember, we're not talking just about financial wealth. We're talking about wealthy in a lot of different ways, and that could include health. You know, it's harder for them to get into heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Peter blurts out, you know what, Jesus? We have left everything for you. Notice Peter is trying to prove that he and the rest of the disciples deserve more or better because of what they've given up. And Jesus responds, I know that, and my Father knows that, and he's going to make sure that you get more than all that you need. Oh, but don't forget, you're also going to get persecutions along with all of it. Most people like to leave out that last part about the persecutions. Jesus reminds us every moment in life is an opportunity for God's work and his love to be revealed. Life is about God drawing people back into a relationship with him and back into a relationship with one another, which is a miracle, by the way, in and of itself. On Palm Sunday, when the crowd is going wild and the disciples are asking, so, are you now finally going to restore the kingdom of heaven to us? And they start getting measured for their crowns and thrones and their kiss-me rings. Jesus reminds them, I didn't come to rule. I came to die. And then he says, you know, as for me, if I'm lifted up from the earth, that's when I'm going to draw all people unto myself. All the broken people who lined up in front of Jesus were asking him, begging him to give them what they thought they needed in order to live their life. Whether it was their sight, the ability to walk or speak, not be filled with demons anymore, suffer from epilepsy or bleeding, or not be dead, they asked Jesus to fix them so that they could be like everybody else. And that's a rather unique prayer. Dear Jesus, let me be like everybody else. Have you ever said that kind of a prayer? God, please do this for me or heal that part of me so I can be like everybody else? But is that really what we're asking? Do we really want to be like everybody else or are we being specific about the people we want to be like? The rich people, the strong people, the powerful people, the talented people. I doubt too many people would be excited about living without elbows. By the way, give it a try this afternoon. Maybe put a splint on your elbows and tie it up and then go about and try to do things that, by the way, you're not going to break anything or hurt yourself, but See what it would be like to live without elbows. You know, I think we'll suddenly get an appreciation for something that we have, well, kind of overlooked. Life is fragile already. And when you are broken, 
And it doesn't matter, by the way, whether that brokenness is in your body or your mind. It's so easy to look around and want what others have, what you think you need to have a real life, which in turn leads us to thinking how unfair it is that we don't have what everybody else does because we forget to look at all the people who don't even have what we have. I think about the man Jesus gave the gift of sight to. He was so excited, and the restoration of his sight was a precious gift. And let's face it, there were a lot of things that that he wanted to see. But it's not as precious as the gift of being restored to God. His eyesight would eventually fail again, if for no other reason than he was going to grow old. But his faith is a very different matter. Imagine as a broken human being encountering God. Not a God way up in the heavens looking down on you, or a God passing by wearing expensive clothes and crowns of gold and thousands of angels screaming, Oh, holy, holy, holy. But instead meeting God in flesh and a body just as broken and fragile as yours. A God who out of love was willing to leave heaven and become hungry and cry and get splintered in his fingers and, well, have his heart broken and then die a gruesome death so he could restore not just your eyesight, your ability to walk, help you get the demons out of your head, but actually get the demons and the sickness and the pain and the hurt and then the death out of your life forever and ever and ever. You know, our brokenness is proof we're human. And the one thing all of us share is, regardless of the condition of our body right now, eventually we are all going to die. In and through Jesus' death and resurrection, though, we are saved. Saved, but not always healed, at least while we're in this body. I know you don't want to hear that because neither do I, but it's true. But it is in our wholeness and healthiness and greatness. Is it really in those things that we're able to love and care for others? Or is it actually in our brokenness that we do the best work that we can possibly do? Because we're able to understand what other people are going through. In the 14th, 15th, and 17th chapter of St. John, Jesus tells his disciples, love one another the way that I loved you. A little while later, Jesus is dying on the cross. And he says the most outlandish thing as his disciples look on He says, Father, forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. And the disciples realize if they're going to do what Jesus told them to do, love one another the way that he loved them, it's not going to be easy. In fact, this kind of life will most likely lead to an early death, just like it did for Jesus. You know, Lutherans don't make you wait until you die to be a saint. We see things a little differently. We know in this life we need elbows, but the day is going to come when we're not going to need it. And so life, all of it, becomes a rehearsal for that day. It requires us to look into the eyes of Jesus and get a glimpse of his love for us and know that no matter how broken we are and how following him might lead to an early death, it's okay because we are more than this body and our life is more than however many years we get to spend on this earth. You see, that gives us a moment of eternal clarity. And the please fix what I think is wrong with me prayers, they begin to fade as we begin to look into the eyes of other people. And instead of a competition or feeling inadequate, we think about what Jesus told the blind man. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And then the Bible says that instead of running around looking at everything, the man began to follow Jesus wherever he went. That's when we pull out our long spoon and start feeding everybody around us, just like Jesus did. And we don't care if they don't feed us back because we trust that Jesus will take care of us. He may not heal us on this side of heaven. He may not fix everything that's broken, but he will take care of us. 
Jesus can fix your eyes. He can help you walk, cast out demons. But none of that matters if you don't let him give you back your soul. I know imagining a place and time where everybody loves and cares for one another in such a way that life is literally perfect and we never have any more needs seems impossible. But so is God taking on flesh and blood and being hungry and crying and getting splinters in his fingers. We have been called to walk with God in our brokenness as proof of his mercy and grace in our life. Holding out arms without elbows and really long spoons. Now most of the world isn't going to understand, but a few will. And we'll get just a little more comfortable with the way things will be for all eternity in heaven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.